Blog Talk Radio. the National Unidentified Missing Persons System, and based on the 2020 U.S. Census Bureau, North Carolina has 8.74 missing persons per 100,000, which equals a total of 604 for North Carolina. 13 states seem to have a higher population of missing persons per 100,000. Many know that areas where there are indigenous there's an indigenous population that there is believed to be a much higher number and than what's actually reported, particularly, forgive me, it is the female population. But Morgan was found. Is that what you might be thinking? She was likely found because she fought off her abductors. What if she wasn't found? What if there was no truck crash? Would they have found her? After all, would she have been reported? What goes underreported and unreported is likely staggering when we know by virtue of facts, fact-finding, logistical, legitimate questions why cases are closed when they need to be properly investigated. Instead, doors are slammed closed. Closure to the grieving families and friends, and just as important, the protections of others that might be preyed upon, they could be the next ones, must be what matters as opposed to instances like this, where in this case, it appears the onus is on the government not to close the books, not to close, it doesn't matter if it was three years ago, it doesn't matter if it was 50 years ago, it doesn't matter if it was last week. This could be happening again tomorrow. I'm Tanya Hathaway, and thank you for tuning in to Tanya Talks, where your voice is heard and your story is told. I'm Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network, and Stephen Burke's 89.9 KLRB-FM Lighthouse Christian Radio in Oklahoma and the surrounding areas. I want to thank you so much for tuning in tonight and, and paying attention to this series that we have uh, with this series is on about Morgan Patton, a young lady, 24 years old. You've probably been paying attention to the series, but if you have not paid attention to the series, if you're just joining us tonight, it happens to be the third series of this about this woman who's young lady who was abducted like likely believed to be abducted and wound up murdered, wound up dead in a truck accident with two perfect strangers in North Carolina when she went 
to be with her fiancé, who was just getting ready to be on furlough the following morning. And she winds up dead. She was probably one of the happiest young ladies in the world at the time that she was there, so excited to spend time with her soon-to-be future husband. Why is there no closure in this case? Why won't they reopen the case as of right now? Why is this closed, stalled, stagnant when the wounds are open, when the wounds will forever be open, but we need to protect others from these kinds of things, heinous things happening, and the family deserves as much closure as true justice can give. Too late to save her life, but her life was not in vain. You got here by the link for the promotion. You will, there's a link to the first show and the second show in case you did miss them. And uh, tonight I would like to introduce you again to Morgan. Forgive me, to Renee and to Stephen Patton, as well as a huge mega advocate for them. He is also also a published award-winning author. He is a retired veteran, and he is a retired police officer who investigated major crime in Maryland, in the Maryland area. And uh, he does, from time to time, help out people in, and just reviews cases. And we've had, I've had the pleasure to speak with him and uh, to read what he has reviewed in this case. And we have him with us tonight. So I want to thank you both, Renee and Steve, for coming on again. How are you tonight? We're doing well. Terrible question to ask. Thank you for having us back. Thank you for being here. And... Mr. Lilly, how are you tonight? I'm I'm doing well. So looking I thank forward you to for, your program. Well, it's this is you know we're heavily relying on conversation with you about your your findings. Now, can you add to what I shared about you? Can you tell a little bit more about yourself, please? Uh, yes, ma'am. I. Uh, I served four years in the Marine Corps, and after leaving the Marine Corps, I went into uh, law enforcement and spent uh, a little over 25 years uh, with the Howard County, Maryland Police Department. I began my career, as as most officers do, in the patrol division, but I I spent a very short time uh, in that uh, capacity because I was asked to uh, uh, move into criminal investigations initially to work uh, in drug enforcement. And actually a temporary uh, transfer wound up to be over four years. And during that time, after working drug enforcement for uh, probably about a year, I moved over to general assignment and then work, uh, working into the various cases, anything from, uh, from murders to rapes, car theft, Hardware uh, were, were many of the things I uh, 
investigated at the time, and I also had the opportunity during that period uh, to attend the Francis Glessner Lee Homicide Investigator School at uh, Baltimore City uh, Homicide Unit sponsored this at the, uh, the medical examiner's office in Baltimore. And it was a so very was that interesting... all about forensics? Yeah, well, it was forensics, but I think the most open, the most, um, the looking at the forensics and have a look at it, basically look at a crime scene and analyze a crime scene. And it, the uh, man who conducted that was uh, Dr. Fisher, and his first statement of the day is, when you leave this class, you will never look at death the same way again. He said, you will look at every death from a suspicious point, and you'll look at it twice, sometimes three times, uh, but you will never see death the same again. And he was absolutely right, because it, it, everything, once you complete the school, your curiosity level uh, is raised about these about the various crimes and uh, the uh, the point of looking into each each one and taking it a step at a time to bring closure. Bring closure. Now, did you experience um, what was your experience when it came to cold cases? Well, that was that came about um, after after I had retired. Uh, a, a gentleman uh, contacted me initially about uh, the, my first book that was published to, to be interviewed on his program. And then sometime uh, later, Dennis Griffin started a thing called the Transparency Project where they began looking into cold cases. And mm-hmm. having spoken with me, he uh, he called and asked if I would consider reviewing uh, a number of cases for him uh, which he said you know, were certainly a very, very suspicious in nature. Uh, one was classified as a, an undetermined uh, death, and there was no, no question after reviewing all of the evidence that I could find that that, that was not uh, death was not certainly an undetermined. It was murder, put very clearly murder. Mm-hmm. And another one was classified as a suicide, and that was absolutely not a suicide. I mean, the woman was very clearly murdered by her husband. And um, th- those cases are still, even though it's been two years or more since I've reviewed them, those cases, just like this one, are still floating in limbo. So, again, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a sad thing to see that, uh, that people take um, and push aside. So in some instances, it's politics, some places incompetence. Um, and, I, and I look at others that say sometimes I just don't think they care. So it's a, it's an ugly world. And what do you think it is in in this case? Well, I, uh, when you look at this one, if if I go back to to the beginning, I said you can you can look at um, uh, Morgan's uh, death from two different perspectives. You can, I, when uh, going back to the night of. Uh, November 8, 2019, when when she went to North Carolina, she was staying at uh, at a hotel that was not that far from an Applebee's restaurant. So she walked to the restaurant, and there, I mean, she engages in conversation with the bartender, and at, at that particular point, uh, begins to tell 
the bartenders that, okay, I'm, I'm there for the first time. I'm, I'm here to visit my fiance, Phil Brandon. He's a Marine at Camp Geiger. And he's mm-hmm. uh, to begin a 96-hour pass the following morning at 8 a.m. And at that, while she's seated there talking with them, I mean, there's a, 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 a two young ladies seated to her left and then a, a couple to her right, but directly across from her are two Marines, uh, Hunter O'Neill Wells and Charles Cornwall. And, of course, mm-hmm. at, at that point, they, they hear the, her conversation with the bartenders. And when the couple seated to Morgan's right exit the restaurant, Wells and Cornwall move over to the bar stools beside Morgan and sit down and at that point uh, begin to attempt to engage her in conversation. At, um, at some point, Morgan got up to go to the ladies' room, and one of the men, which I'm assuming here would be Wells as the owner of the truck, exited the restaurant and uh, while Cornwall remained behind. But at this point, Morgan never came back to the bar after she exited the, the ladies' room. Now, there are several possibilities here. Again, uh, when uh, she was probably under the assumption that the, they had paid her bill by the way they acted, and there are two theories here that when she exited the, the ladies' room, either she was ambushed and forced out the back door, which was only 12 feet from the, from the ladies' room, and forced into the truck that was driven by Wells, or, uh, again, when you to take a look at it from every perspective, uh, was she lured there uh, through, under false pretenses? But staying with, with the idea that she was abducted forcefully, they had to do everything in, in a perspective that they were not going to be observed. Uh, the area where the, outside the back door of Applebee's was not well lighted at all, and there was no security cameras of any type there. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if she was forced into the vehicle, uh, certainly I would, would assume that she would have put up uh, some type of struggle. And it, this is why at this point being at that mm-hmm. close to the back door to hurry her out the door and then force her into the vehicle uh, and then drive away, and taking her to a predetermined location. There's no question in my mind that they, when, when this happened, they knew exactly where they were going. They, they had been there before. They knew the area where they were taking her. Um, and I would look at it from the perspective of uh, that these two went to, the, went to that Applebee's for the sole purpose of finding a woman to engage in sex with either forcefully or consensually. Morgan, Morgan was not uh, of an intended victim. She was a target of opportunity. And that's mm-hmm. that when, when she came and sat, and sat down, she was their target. Uh, my, mm-hmm. my wife, who was also a police officer for 25 years, described them both as sexual predators, and, and in her opinion and mine, is that this was not their first time that they had done something like this. And mm-hmm. on the, uh, the other side of the coin, where we, we talked about looking at, at it um, from the idea that they engaged her in conversation knowing that she was there to visit her fiancé. Now, at this time, they're, so they're going to tell her that 
they can uh, they can actually they can take her on base at Camp Geiger and take her to surprise her fiance Phil. Yeah, certainly mm-hmm. as excited as she was about going there to meet him, I'm, there's no doubt that there, her uh, level of excitement rose considerably with the idea that she could see him hours earlier than than certainly intended. And right. while and so they're, when they're doing this, this point here, they're engaging her not just in conversation, but they also bought her a drink. They bought her a, a beer and a shot of Jack Daniels and continued with their, their conversation with her with the idea of being able to say to, to get her on base to visit her fiancé. Again, here's where Wells left. He left the restaurant when Morgan went left the bar to go to the ladies' room. And mm-hmm. Cornwall... Which was right by the door, that back yes, door. Yes, yes, So she's in the ladies' room, and at this point, Wells is going to get his truck, his Chevy Silverado, and pull it around by the back door. Now, I, I would assume that at this point, when she stepped out, Cornwall probably surprised her and said, hey, you know, let's go, we're going to take you on base. And with the idea she didn't think about it, believing that they had paid her bar tab or her dinner tab, that she walked mm-hmm. out the door willingly and got into the truck, again, willingly, believing that they were going to drive her to Camp Geiger to meet Phil. Now, certainly here, it, they they need to keep her distracted, and they start bringing up uh, a point about uh, how drugs are smuggled on the base by secreting them in, in pizza boxes and there was a, a text message that was sent to Phil from her phone uh, regarding this. And then, of course, there were text messages from her phone to her mom um, so saying that she was going to bed and that she would be calling her in the morning. But Which it, doesn't it, make any they, sense, does it? No, no, it, it doesn't. But, but you're, you're looking here again. They've got this, this girl. Is, she's head over heels in love with Phil. She's very excited with the prospect of being able to see him um, hours earlier, and they've lured her into this truck to go and say, yeah, we're going to take you over to Camp Geiger to meet him. But instead, they go, they go off down uh, Highway 17, and when, they're, when you're doing this, they've got to keep her occupied. So this is what they're trying to do is, to, is keep her distracted with the fact that, okay, we're, we're taking you over here to Camp Geiger, and they're using the, these text messages to keep her distracted. But, of course, as they're driving, uh, it, it certainly point, at some point Morgan realizes that this, this is not happening. We're not going to Camp Geiger. There's something amiss here. And when I, you can only imagine that she would start to question uh, both Wells and Cornwall, okay, where are we, what are we doing? And if there's, at this point, no, no real answer to what, what, they, what they're going to be able to do, uh, she begins to say, either, either take me back to Applebee's or let me out of the truck, which certainly mm-hmm. Wells is not, and Cornwall are not going to do. They're not going to allow her to leave that truck. They continue down the road, at which point she decides, well, you know, if you're not going to stop, I'm going to fight. And she begins fighting. And, again, you can only have to assume that she fought with Cornwall first while Wells was still driving. And when he, at that point, 
where he, he turned off of Route 17 on the White Oak River Road. And um, at, there was a point about 1.2 miles off of Route 17 on White Oak Road, White Oak River Road, when the truck certainly abruptly exited the, the road to the right side. And according to the North Carolina State Highway Patrol's accident report, it, it indicated that the truck left the roadway very abruptly. And my opinion is it left the road abruptly because Morgan was at that time attacking Wells, who was driving the vehicle. Now, the report indicates that the truck was traveling at a speed of, of 93 miles per hour when it initially left the roadway. And the truck then skidded a distance of 192 feet sideways and impacted a tree at a speed of 70 miles per hour. During that time, of course, there's no indication that the brakes were ever applied. And I believe Wells was completely overwhelmed by Morgan's attack and didn't apply the brakes. But because mm -hmm. she was violently attacking him, defending her life, uh, and trying to escape, and at the point of collision, she was ejected through the right front passenger side window. Now, again, she was not wearing a seatbelt, but and then talking to to Steve, uh, he said this which, was which certainly not Which leads you to something. believe more that 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 she was that it wasn't lured. It leads you to believe more if if she was being lured, she would have buckled up automatically. Right. Well, the, the fact that you know being lured, she was if, if she was lured under false pretenses. Put it that way. She right, but she would have you, buckled up. Right. Well, she and and uh, you know she didn't because of, you know according to her dad, beginning at age four, right. she learned to use a seatbelt, and her practice was even when she began to drive, her rule for driving the car was everybody in there had their seatbelt secured or the car didn't move. So the, she was ejected it. because yes, and she was ejected because she wasn't wearing the seatbelt. Now, it, of course. There's so many different angles that come into play here um, with the North Carolina State Highway Patrol arriving on the scene. And, and my understanding is that the, uh, the initial uh, responder was this, a sergeant who declared it a crime scene, um, mm -hmm. immediately declaring a crime scene, which certainly would be the case, is uh, even an accident investigation certainly would, would declare it as a, technically a crime scene. Um, crime mm -hmm. scenes should be secured, and they, only the primary investigator and those collecting evidence, uh, the people from the crime lab, would be permitted to come into that crime scene. But mm -hmm. when you, you take, take everything under consideration here, regardless of what, how Morgan ended up in that vehicle, whether she was forced or lured in there, it was still kidnapping. Uh, and, yeah, and her and death just, resulted that. Okay. Yes. I, I, I just believe that, that, you know, if she was lured in, you know, under the pretenses that she was going to see him and surprise him, that she would have buckled herself up because that would have been a normal thing for her to do, right? So that's why right. what, you, you know, what leads me to feel like she didn't even get in the truck, the, you, well, you know, willingly. The there was no willingness because she wasn't buckled. You know, unless she unbuckled well, the, herself when she realized. Well, well that's you, you where the, yeah, I was going. Yeah, I was going to bring that point up. If, even if she was buckled in at the point where she began to fight, right. she would have probably released the seatbelt. 
and, and she would have had to have done that to go over the seat to get after Wells, because I'm certainly the right. first person that she attacked would have been Cornwall in the back seat. Mm-hmm. And right. at this point, so, so again, when you're looking at this um, here, the, again, this attack taking place, but she went again, now she's attacking the driver. And that's, that was, that attack was the direct cause of the accident because she was, she was fighting for her life at that point. And I, uh, again, look, when you look at everything here, um, where they were taking her down to this, this uh, White Oak River Road, it was an area that they were familiar with. It was a, a, a very uh, big comfort zone for both Wells and Cornwall. Certainly, mm-hmm. they've been down there before. They knew the area, and that's where they were taking her. And Opposite direction of the base. Yes, away from, certainly away from the base. And, again, it was an area that they were familiar with. And again, this, this certainly at this point would raise so many other questions uh, the open-ended that, okay, not just do they, that they know this area, but what else, what else has happened here? What, what else were they involved in? Um, as a result, of course, as a result of the accident, you know, sadly, you know, Morgan lost her life. Uh, Cornwall suffered uh, a traumatic brain injury, and Wells was... Allegedly. Uh, he, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's, you know, when you, you get into into the uh, thing, he was hospitalized for quite a while, and was uh, apparently in the hospital for for at least three weeks, and then uh, it was released, um, and eventually separated from the Marine Corps and returned home to Montana. Uh, Wells was uh, released uh, from the hospital, and with his his injuries, after he was treated for his injuries, he was released to the North Carolina State Highway Patrol and uh, subsequently was charged with a number of motor vehicle violations, including a felony death charge. Um, mm-hmm. I, to this date, I don't, I don't believe that there's any indication that he was ever tried for that. And he, too, was later released from the Marine Corps and went home to West Virginia. Uh, there's uh, uh, so many different open, uh, pieces open here, again, uh, mistakes made as far as I was concerned. There was a, a, the ball was dropped at, at some point at that crime scene. And uh, having talked to Steve, that there was the assumption at one point that um, even though they did not find any identification on Morgan at the time, that they assumed because Wells and Cornwall were, were Marines that she too was a Marine. And I, right. I, I think at that point somebody decided, well, we'll back off and let the Marine Corps handle it. And instead of furthering and taking and, and going completely over the crime scene and, and, and treating it as the crime scene and collecting all the evidence available, it, it became kind of, um, I don't know, what do you want to call it, roughshod investigation. But at that yeah. point, think, things became very shoddy. And instead of really looking and collecting the evidence, it was hurry up, let's clean up this, this mess and get the road open. And oh, when you suddenly find out that, okay, now we've got a young lady here who's not a Marine, we found her identification, and what's, the, what's coming up now? What are the questions now? So they take her, and what do they find? Two sets of DNA under her fingernails. Now, that, that DNA, two, two sets of male DNA, certainly belonged to Wells 
and and uh, Cornwall. It did not it did not wind up under her fingernails as a result of the accident. Those those sets of DNA were under her fingernails because she fought those two people in defense of her life. That's why those were there. Again, you're looking here. The ball is dropped. Why? Why not pursue it further? They didn't. They didn't need to to obtain a warrant to get uh, Wells's blood because his blood was taken at the hospital, to, to actually there to, to test for his impairment of alcohol. Uh, mm-hmm. all, all needed there to get his technically to get his blood uh, sample for DNA comparison was a, was a subpoena, and uh, there was more than ample evidence to, in my mind, to obtain a warrant to get. Uh, a DNA sample from Cornwall to uh, mm-hmm. compare to that. Uh, at this point, I, that has not been done, and there's still the argument of trying to trying to have this um, DNA further analyzed to determine uh, who this who it belongs to. But yes, this this is again the, the result of the ball being dropped. Yeah, because the findings do do say, to my understanding, that the DNA samples can be further broken down. Yes, they can. More can be found out. Oh, yes. And they haven't done that. Right. I mean, you're looking now, they're they're taking cases that are 50 years old and Mm -hmm. solving them through the use of DNA. And I mean, I, you know, when you look at it, but with the technology, the advanced technology today, uh, is is a, a blessing to law enforcement, and in many instances, being able to go back to these old cases and solve them. But here, again, if, if to take a look, if analyze this DNA, it. and if you have to, to to analyze this DNA and say, okay, this is what we have. We can now point a finger directly at them and say, this is what you did. Uh, the, um, uh, the, the point here, you're, we're looking at it, of course, I discussed this with Steve, that we looked at it as uh, that Wells was the alpha male in, in, the, in the hunt here, and uh, Cornwall was more the follower. And it, it, um, sometime after this um, after the accident, Morgan's death, when uh, um, Cornwall got got back out of the hospital before he was released from uh, active duty, he went to Wells's house to talk to him and found Wells having a party. And Wells, uh, he's uh, having a party, making uh, joking around, and Cornwall actually became upset over the fact that Wells had basically no remorse for Morgan's death. And mm-hmm. it, it upset him to the point where I, my opinion is he's the weak link in the chain. If, uh, mm-hmm. if time enough is spent on him, I, I think he could be broken to give the, the whole story of exactly what did happen. Now, and yet he was honorably discharged, is that correct? Uh, he was. I don't know about honorably discharged. I think he he could have been re- released from active duty under, uh, or or given a general discharge. Uh, uh, again, I I have no 
um, information as to what type of discharge that that uh, that Wells and Cornwall received when they left the Marine Corps. Uh, that was not anything that was available to me. And uh, mm-hmm. the uh, of course, I mean, when they've talked to um, Wells uh, or not Wells, but uh, to Cornwall, trying to to uh, to talk to him, and even in, in talking to him. His indication was that that Wells would not treat someone else's fiance appropriately. So, what is he saying about Wells that that's not being followed up? Um, and it's mm-hmm. uh, there are just so many open open pieces here that that uh, uh, should be looked at to say you know we need to need to bring about closure to this. Uh, to this case, and it's 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 not being done. And again, just talking to Steve recently, um, learned of the fact that uh, he contacted a, a deputy with the uh, Onslow County Sheriff's Office, who was supposedly assigned Morgan's case to follow up, and the man had no knowledge that he, that the case had even been assigned to him. So this is uh, certainly just a very very shoddy piece of police work here and it's uh, again it's uh, somebody is not picking up the the ball and taking it and carrying it to the conclusion that needs to come come about through proper investigation and when because uh, it's too messy well oh yeah yeah oh there's no question about that and then when you, no, you look they at don't the, want to work this cold case until everybody's gone, and then somebody might look, uh, they might, you know, be looking through cold cases, and 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 oh wow, this has been requested a number of times, and then you know, by that time, there's nobody there to be held liable for the misdeeds right. or for the recklessness. Yes, and and the, the, well, the the tough part here, I mean, I and, and I have a very very hard time dealing with this piece of the uh, investigation that was conducted by a lieutenant in the Marine Corps uh, it, looking into to, uh, uh, Cornwall. When he did his investigation, somehow or other, he classified this as Cornwall's injuries having been uh, 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 incurred in the line of duty. And yep. the medical record says that they were his injuries were sustained in the line of duty, and I'm asking what evidence is there to support this claim? That so clearly on on Friday, November the eighth, two thousand nineteen, Charles Cornwall was not acting in an official capacity as a military police officer. He was mm-hmm. at that time he was part he was actively participating in the kidnapping of Morgan Patton, which led to her death. And he was a co-conspirator, willing participant in the crime with Hunter Wells. Now, when, mm-hmm. when you took a, take a look at the at the investigation from the Marine Corps, this lieutenant in uh, in I think uh, his in the, in the section of findings of fact, the the fifth one, he says there's no indi- no uh, evidence to suggest or indicate that Lance Corporal Cornwall consumed alcohol prior to the crash. Well, there's more than ample evidence, if he had looked for it, uh, to prove that Cornwall had been drinking at Applebee's restaurant, and he had ingested three shots of Jack Daniels and two beers over a period of 59 minutes. 
And this is substantiated by a, a copy of the receipt from the restaurant. And there's no indication at all that, that, that this investigator took it upon himself to go to Applebee's to even indicate to interview the two bartenders who were working on the night of uh, 8 November 2019. Now, again, he, his investigation states that uh, Cornwall was in liberty status and within liberty boundaries when the accident occurred, but. Where then, how does this is, is in the line of duty? How does it wind up in the line of duty? I did, right. I did well, a little bit of research yeah, on that. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I, when is a line of duty determination required? Um, uh, process to be initiated when a soldier, regardless of medical disposition, emergency room, I'll just go past that, sustains an injury or no, what is the process for a line of duty? I what are the possible findings for a line of duty? Um, in line of duty, presumed unless disease, death, illness, or injury occurred while a soldier was absent without leave, AWOL is a second as a result. So, th- but they were on, like you said, liberty. Um, not yeah. in the line of yeah, duty sick. due to own misconduct, a for- misconduct. A formal investigation determined that a soldier's illness, injury, or disease was approximately caused by the soldier's own misconduct, regardless of whether soldier was AWOL. So now he right. was given his full benefits, wasn't he? Right. Yeah, he's released with this, and again, they, they, somehow or other, they, they continue to try to classify this as um in the you know in the line of duty and again the, uh, he this lieutenant states again that there's no evidence to suggest that cornwall was impaired in any capacity yet we've got the evidence of three shots of jack daniels and two beers down over a period of 59 minutes would seem to indicate otherwise to me and uh, yeah, it, it, i don't know how how you can you can do that? And it's certainly, if he was if he was in a liberty status, he was not acting in any official capacity as his assigned MOS as a military police officer. And, and that's what this paper says. Here it says, how do I know if I'm qualified for line of duty? A soldier may qualify for line of duty care if you incur or aggravate an injury, illness, or disease while while in the line of duty, performing ADT, IDP, drill weekend, or any other training while on orders. This includes when traveling directly to or from your place. Does not it, it, it does not apply. When is an LOD determination required? The LOD process will be initiated when a soldier, regardless of medical disposition, emergency room, urgent care, non-urgent care, hospital admission, sustains an injury or contracts an illness or disease that results in any of the following. Inability to perform military duties for more than 24 hours, likelihood of permanent disability, death, Medical treatment, regardless of soldier's ability to perform military duties, likelihood that soldier will apply for incapacitation pay. Now, he did, didn't he? And he got it, didn't he? That's my belief. And Steve and Renee, feel free to chime in. And then it, then there's something that says, what are the soldier's responsibilities to require a line of duty uh, determination? Did this happen? This is what I want to know. Seek treatment first and, and then contact your uh, unit commander right away, but that doesn't mean automatically that he does qualify for being under line of duty just because he contacted his commander. This is a wreck. No, no. This, 
Now, as, as I say, and this is this is the whole point. Regardless of what they're trying, what they're saying in this investigation, if you want to call it an investigation, um, is that he was 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 acting in the capacity the way this would read as a military police officer. But if he was on liberty, he's not acting in that capacity. And then his uh, again, he comes up with the. Uh, this, that his opinion was that Cornwall was in a right state of mind emotionally and was not impaired during the vehicle crash on 8 November 2019. Well, once again, we go back to the to the Jack Daniels and the beer, and how how do you come up with an opinion that he was not impaired and was in a in a right state of mind? That's that's way off base. And then to take it, then he recommends that an entry be made in the health record of, of, of Lance Corporal Charles Cornwall stating that the injuries were incurred in the line of duty and is not a result of the member's own misconduct. Well, kidnapping and murder sure goes overboard as far as misconduct goes. I mean, and you cannot mm-hmm. tell me that, that, you know, that this was not misconduct uh, this is this is somebody trying to make a, to take that big blanket and pull it up and, and cover the failures here, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what the way I see it. I don't like to say it, but it's it, what this is what I see. Yeah, yeah, and it could be because there's other things that would be uncovered should this have been you know, brought to light the way it should have been because maybe he had something on his commanding unit officer. Who knows? Who who right. knows? But everything, this is, this contradicts. There's contradictions left and right here. And so, you know, it's, that's where you just wonder, is it really carelessness? Is it carelessness right. or is it cover up? Because if if they have good, intentions when you point something out that shows where the conflict is oh my goodness thank you for letting us know that we'll look into that you would think that would be what would occur right now of course now this this lieutenant did he interviewed cornwall on uh, on december 30th 2019 and one of the, the questions he asked right up front is, do you remember the night of 8 November 2019? And Cornwall says, I do not. And when asked, what were you doing in the hours leading up to the crash? He, again, he answers, I have no idea. I don't remember the day of the accident. And the two weeks prior are still hazy. The next question asked is, were you excessively tired, sick, hungry or had you taken any type of medication prior to the crash no did you have anything to drink before the crash i don't know okay but he's very positive in in response to question number seven in, in that in that particular case where he was not tired hungry or sick uh, but when it came to the to the drinking he doesn't know he's unsure and the seat right Right now, here's here's again. He said, "Where were you located in the car?" And he said, "I've been told the front passenger seat." And then, of course, now they told him he was in the front passenger seat. Now the next very next question is, "Were you wearing a seatbelt?" 
instant answer. I was wearing a seatbelt. Well, if you had to be told you were in the front seat, how do you know you were wearing a seatbelt? If you didn't know where you were sitting to begin with, so it, it, there's there are so many failures here. Um, it's it's um, it, it's beyond comprehension to me that, that that this has gone this far without a conclusion. And and the the, the tough part is you have three different um, agencies, so to speak, involved. You've got the You've got the North Carolina State Highway Patrol, the Onslow County Sheriff's Office, and, of course, the Marine Corps. So Mm -hmm. somewhere in here, somebody needs to pick up the case and carry it to a conclusion. And my understanding is that criminal investigations would be handled by the Onslow County Sheriff's Office and not by the North Carolina State Highway Patrol. Uh, Their duties would would remain strictly as far as... uh, uh, investigating uh, accidents is what their and traffic law enforcement would go to the North Carolina State Highway Patrol, not the criminal investigation. So, if they pulled off and they supposedly now handed it to to the Onslow County Sheriff's Office, somebody there should be picking this up. And again, in the initial stages, my understanding is that the there were two sheriff's deputies who were assigned the case, but they never went to, to Applebee's to talk to anyone. Right. I, I mean, that, that was a, is such an important part right there. What evidence could be provided by the bartenders had you interviewed them uh, up front? What, what else did they overhear or see that could be very important to this investigation? Right. And, and it's just to, to to me, it's just somebody dropped the ball and never picked it up and carried it on. And it could be that the bartender helped the situation too. You know, um, there's been some thought as to, you know, whether there was a drug. And, and, there's, and, and, and yeah, the, the the useful thing that those. But the, the point with those drugs, putting a drug in there, um, the, the ones that I've had, uh, the, the um, certainly the, the knowledge of it and, and having been around, she would have, Morgan would have been incapacitated to the point where she wouldn't have been able to fight. I mean, it would have done okay. it that quickly. And then, right, uh, and right, I, right. And, if it was like the date rape drug. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And and I and believe it or not, they. Um, the uh, one one of the big big ones is Rohitmol that they they give you. I I actually had that prescribed for a dental procedure, and, and believe me, it, I was go, I was absolutely gone. And they told me to I to, to be prior to taking that medication to make sure that I ate a very very big meal, and I was wow. still out in left field with it, and and not long after I took it. Um, but, uh, but that, I mean, that's uh, right there being very, very familiar yeah. with that. The, now, if you give it to somebody who's eaten very little or on even an empty stomach, it is just, I mean, totally incapacitating to the point where they don't, a lot of times they don't even remember how they got from one place to the other. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, a it's an immediate, it acts very quickly, uh, to incapacitate the person, so that I would say would would be okay. off the table. Would because it, yeah. it, you know, certainly she would have been totally incapacitated. 
Right. And uh, of course, then Wells Wells tried to make a point that 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 uh, that she was trying to to put uh, uh, put the moves on on uh, uh, Cornwall, and of course that's not true. But I mean, even right. Cornwall was uh, a little uh, miffed with the point with when he was trying to say that okay, you two were hooking up, and he said that that's not that's not fact, that's not true. Uh, but mm-hmm. he was just trying to pass it off. And again, I said, Wells, Wells is the one to me. He's the he was the alpha male. He was the one given the marching orders, and Cornwall was the follower and going along with with uh, with Wells's bidding. But again, I'm, my my opinion will go right back to the to the point of this was not their first time uh, out doing this. And I say there there's a lot of things that that uh, that. Raise even more questions about the, the two of them, and even does, does Wells was hooked up was hooked up with anyone else and ever gone out and done the same thing with another with another brain with him? There are mm-hmm. uh, so many questions that you could raise about the, this uh, this road that they to this uh, river road that they took off on to, or to go down that road. They knew that road. They, it was a comfort zone. And what else? I mean, how many missing persons are there in that particular area right. uh, that right. during their time that they were there? Are there unsolved I, murders? Yeah, I tried to look up missing persons for, 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 you know, to get right down to that area, you know, missing women, you know, and whatnot. But I, I just was not successful yet with that. I mean, I'm sure those statistics are out there. Is it, let me ask and you I, something now. Sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What's your question? Well, Jacksonville, where Applebee's is, and where the accident happened, those are there's there's two different counties there. Is that correct? Uh, that that I'm not certain mm-hmm. of. I looked at the uh, I looked at the looked at the aerial map of the whole area, trying to get a feel for it. Um, and See? I mean, you could have Onslow County apparently would be the county of records for the criminal investigation for the criminal investigation which is where the accident took place but what about where the kidnapping took place which would be a a different county steve are you there Uh, yeah i can answer that question actually um and they were so jacksonville where applebee's is where morgan was staying that is onslow county um the crash actually happened in a separate town the town of maysville However, they were that's they were on the White Oak River Road portion that is still in Onslow County. Um, that road ends okay. at the Hoffman State Forest, a 79,000-acre forest owned by the University of North Carolina. The end of that road, the boundary of the Hoffman State Forest, is also the county line. So they they were heading to another county, likely. This all death- occurred in Onslow County. Correct, yes. Okay. okay. So that, that, that squarely puts the, the, the criminal investigation aspect on the Onslow County Sheriff. Absolutely. That's yes. Worth, yes. Yeah, they, they, then they, they should have picked that up um, and, and, again, carried the case. But, but for whatever reason, it's it's to me I, I I don't understand why 
this was not pursued to to some conclusion by the the sheriff's office. I and I'm just a, a very um, myth to say the least that this was not pursued to a conclusion, and it it, sh- it certainly should have been. There was when you look, again just the fact of the DNA under the fingernails should be a clear indication that there was more going on here than this was just a motor vehicle accident, which it certainly was not. I mean, she mm-hmm. was, Morgan was fighting for her life, and that's why um, the, the accident occurred while she was fighting uh, to, to get free from the two uh, Marines, Wells and, and Cornwall. The answer is in the DNA. The answer is oh, in yes, the DNA. Is. I mean, yeah. because they didn't land anywhere, you, you know, other than you know on the crash. You know, they right. didn't they didn't spend time there. She wasn't getting DNA under her fingernails at the bar. No, she wasn't and getting DNA they... under her fingernails when she lay there dead on arrival. It happened on during, on you know during the the speed, you know during the the truck ride and. Right. That's. Yeah. yeah again, what I said was with that, with the the fact that the the the, uh, the DNA ended up under her fingernails because she was fighting. That's that's why. I mean, yeah. it, it the result of that accident did not get two sets of separate DNA under her fingernails. There was no way, right. no way that, that that could possibly happen. She was fighting, and that's why the, that that uh, the, the DNA is there. And, and again, yeah. like I said, right now with the with the technology that's available, I mean, it changes almost every year. It advances more and more to be able to help uh, to with with case closures and uh, right. to be to bring cases as long as, as some. I just saw a couple that they were 50 years old, and DNA uh, samples were still able to uh, solve those cases. Uh, again, here this is. Not, this is a this is a case right here, where it's not an old case. I mean, you're still looking three years, uh, right? Uh, at, you know, not, and not even three years. But but here we're looking at okay, why why isn't something being done? Why isn't somebody pursuing this to a to a conclusion? And there's uh, way way too many unanswered questions here. I mean, it is possible that you know when she went to the ladies' room, you, you know, that they forced her out, that Cornwall forced her out while Wells was in the truck and the DNA, you know, the fingernail situation happened there and, and uh, you know, her tr- trying to fight for her life there. Um, but because I just don't see her getting in the vehicle will- willingly. There's just... No way. Well, the only Unless the only the only way I see willingly is is the fact that they lied to her, convincing her that they were going to take her to see Phil. That yeah. that uh, if, if especially if she got so excited over that thought that if for at least for a period of time she threw caution to the wind, thinking uh, how much she wanted to see him, how much she wanted to be able to surprise him, and, and at least spend a little time with him that night. Prior to waiting for her, her, uh, for him to get his liberty the next day, it's it, uh, uh, 
the, the point is, again, if you want to look at it from the standpoint, if if you're looking at the point where somebody would have been trying to forcefully, even at the distance of 12 feet, unless unless she was struck in some fashion or rendered unconscious in some fashion, that she would have put up enough of a fight to attract the attention of people in the restaurant. Right. Exactly. I, I wouldn't think that she would have, if, if he grabbed her and tried to push her out the door, that she would have, uh, would not Screamed. have, uh, would not have put up a fight. She would have been kicking and screaming, and, yeah. and that yeah. that certainly says to me that you know he it was a quick it was probably it was something quick. It was like okay, all right, we're ready to go. We're going to go. We're going right over to Camp Geiger. Let's go and out the back door they went. Um, I mean, I I really played and looked at that again and again and again, trying to to figure the the fact that, uh, of forcing her out. And the, the only way that, to me, that she would have been forced would have been, like I said, she had to either be rendered under con- unconscious or, or punched and knocked um, somewhat senseless to, to, to basically force her out and then into the truck. Now, I'm just wondering, you know, I, I know every state has, has different laws, you know, and, and, you know, because of the motor vehicle uh, law there, uh, we've got Wells charged with vehicular murder, and, and right, right, yes. Okay, so, uh, well, they said it was and that's not going anywhere. Felony, yeah, yeah, felony death charge is what the, what, the way they were it. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering because there's some some states like. States, but I know Oklahoma is one of them where, you know, obviously they'll hide things that they don't want you to see if it's a controversial case, you know, or a corrupt case, but where you can just go online and look and see, you know, to a PACER account or something. Um, right. But this is not a, it's not a federal case. It's a, a state case. So there should be court records as to the status of of the case. And that might be yeah, something that uh, would be... Yeah, we, we have a thing in Maryland that's called the Maryland Case Search, where you can actually re- put pull up Maryland Case Search and then look for the look look for a specific right. person or or case uh, to, to review and, and actually review it online. Right, and you can do that without charge in Oklahoma, and you can, so yes. I'm just, I wonder, and I know it's OSCN is a company that, that is used, but I'm just wondering, uh, that's one of the things that I'm going to do if we can, you know, get online and look under uh, DMV, you know, and look up his, you know, full correct name and, and see where that is at. Uh, because we'll, we'll know for sure, you know, it's just stagnant. Because for him to be charged and that not going anywhere, you know, the, the, I understand that COVID has tied things up. I, I, I get that. But that's the way is, is, is to get the copies of the, of the record. And, and the courts have to provide that. You know, it's not right, online, just. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, and I know a lot of things you can uh, work through with the Freedom of uh, Information Act. Of information, to, yeah. Uh, 
you know, is to, is to get to get the information that you're looking for. Um, again, like I said, you, at some point, this this should be able to come up online. But at, again, going back to that one point, I I don't believe that there's any indication that Wells was ever tried for this felony death charge. Right. He's right. Not he, was, he was. I'm sorry, he's not been tried yet. He's been indicted. He has not been tried. Oh, he's been Correct. indicted but not tried. Okay. Correct. Oh, at least they got that far. Right. Yes. I mean, that, 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 that's uh, that, that's taken a while. I guess a while to get even even to reach that point. But the fact that they've indicted him, I mean, they've got to bring him back uh, back to North Carolina to stand trial. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I on their webpage right now and the public records requests. Um, I don't see where you can just go on, and I could I could be wrong. I, I'll, I'll dig into it a little bit deeper, um, just to see if you know under records if you can just pull it up by case. Public access can be found as citizen access. Okay, I'll, I can try that um, later. Now, as far as Cornwall is concerned, his current disposition is he might get back into becoming a police officer, right? He yes, Charles Cornwall. Yeah. Um, and and I don't I can't tell you what has happened since um, August of last year, August 2021. That's when our private investigator visited him in Montana. At that point, he was interviewing for positions within the county sheriff's department where he lives in Montana. He, he may actually he may actually be working, working. as a sheriff at this point. I don't I don't have that information. I it, I don't understand how he could be. And this question came up earlier. He was technically medically retired from the Marine Corps. Okay. Uh, so he was medically retired because he could not could no longer fulfill his duties as Marine Corps mm-hmm. police officer. I'm not sure how. And he collects a disability check as well, which I'm thrilled to pay for. <laughs> but he, I'm not sure how sure. he is capable of working as a sheriff's deputy a year after being medically retired from the Marine Corps because he could not could no longer fulfill his duties. That. It's a head scratcher. That is a head scratcher, isn't it? And I, and, I, and I would think that if they actually did a background investigation, they would have a lot of questions of their own to ask. Um, I mean, <laughs> or, or they don't. But he wasn't they, charged with they, anything. Yeah, but again, even with with looking at what he's what he was involved in, if you do the right background investigation, all this information should come out and should certainly. Um, bring a background background investigator to ask a lot of questions, uh, and I, I know. I mean, even during my tour of duty, and, and my wife, we both did background investigations, and and you know, anything that was even vaguely suspicious is the things we, we questioned further, and and either recommended to put this person uh, off the list, keep them off, they shouldn't be hired. Uh, and it's it's the the point I can't understand is that they would look at him and say, "Well, gee, you know, you're qualified to be a deputy sheriff here," without 
going back and, and wanting to question him further about this this particular incident, unless they bought mm-hmm. this whole report that that he sustained all those problems as a result of, of being in the line of duty. Uh, I don't understand that if you looked at the uh, quote investigation, how you could even uh, think of classifying it uh, again as a line of duty injury. Uh, and again, what, what is this sheriff's department out there looking at in order to hire him? And the fact that he has quote had a traumatic brain injury and now has he miraculously recovered from this, and he's, right. he's now fully he's fully coherent. That was going to be my next point. Is is I I would be concerned if I were interviewing anyone for a law enforcement position that had documented, even though his medical records he was never diagnosed with retrograde amnesia, but when he was interviewed as a witness, he swore under oath that he was suffering from retrograde amnesia. Right. And yet that's not in his medical records. Correct. My goodness. All right, and does anybody know, all right, so does anybody know what Wells is doing now as he's pending trial? I um, I think I should refrain from answering that question. Uh, we have a little information. But I don't want to disclose how we have oh. that information. So okay. Okay. I, All right. Did you say that he's not being a productive citizen of the United States? I'll leave it at that. Okay. No, don't want to do anything very, to. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. You could don't jeopardize. You know what what. Uh, what information is there to, to jeopardize anything? Uh, the wrong word slipping uh, is this uh, something we don't need at this point? And of course, and then again, again, was, I know I discussed this with, with Steve. There, there was a rifle in that truck, and of course, why was there a rifle in there? And um, yeah, although when they located it, it was broken. Yeah, well, it belonged to Cornwall. And although he denies any knowledge of how the rifle got into the truck, it was his weapon, and it was a, a 22 rifle, and it was broken at the time when they found it, but was it broken prior to the accident, or is it a direct result of the accident? And what was the purpose of the rifle being in the truck, other than the possibility it was uh, there to, as a point of intimidation, too? Um, was that used at some point to try to intimidate Morgan? And again, those those questions are something we we don't know an answer to. Uh, and and again, my other question was, did did they try to take it and, and do any ballistics work on it? Um, there's a, just too many uh, questions raised, even about that. Why why was that rifle not? taken and kept in possession of law enforcement because uh, again talking to steve i understand that they they tossed it in the truck when it was towed away so the rifle went with the truck and and again that's that's, that's very shoddy I'm, I'm not leaving i'm not leaving a rifle uh, broken or not uh in in a vehicle while it's towed off 
uh, it, it makes no sense. And it, it's uh, again, my question is: was it, was it ever used to kill somebody else? And uh, you know, I, I, my again, my point was that uh, I I look at it. That certainly, their their plan uh, was they they were abducting Morgan for the purpose of sexually assaulting her. Now, had they had they successfully succeeded in that, I I don't believe they ever had any intention of allowing her to to walk out of there where she could identify him at a later point. No way. And I, again, yeah. like I said, yeah, that's that's just that's my opinion, and, and uh, I, I look at it from just trying to look at it from the point of of of, of looking at it from from the from the perspective of of the uh, the cop that always asks that asks the question to be suspicious of everything, and that's and that's the only way to to view it is every little piece should raise a suspicion and cause the. The, the investigator to be more curious and more uh, forthcoming and looking for the right answers. So and again, it's a, a, it it's a. It doesn't seem to be any goodwill in this investigation. No goodwill. No. It does not seem to be thorough. And and that you know de- the demands. I I know you you know you you you, you don't get results with spewing too much vinegar okay you're better off with sweet right but sweet isn't getting anybody anywhere and and the demands need to come forward at at some point because i don't think they're going to do it without the demands or you know or or unless it's going to take 50 years when anybody who is to be held responsible isn't around anymore yeah, and that's and that's the, the the big the big problem is how how long do you want to let it? Is it just going to sit there um, and and collect a, a, a file that's just going to collect dust and nobody does anything about it? Uh, it and it's uh, it's I don't know it's it's a it's it's a sad case to look at it from this perspective, and yet I look at these other cold cases the same way, and and I'm going, why aren't people doing their job? There, there's, mm-hmm. there are so many failures that I'm seeing that would, to me, I mean, from a personal standpoint, I took pride in my work, uh, and yeah, and mine was to, to take. Well, they say you never take the job personal. Well, yeah, you take it personal because I don't want the, the thug or the criminal to think that that he can outsmart me and what I'm doing. But it seems that a lot of these people just don't care that the. If the thug does get away with it, I, I don't. I don't understand this. This doing, and the way a lot of these other investigations I've looked at um, have just completely fallen, where nobody nobody wants to do anything. And that's uh, mm-hmm. and of course in the one case, and I did talk to Steve about that. Um, I recommended that the young lady get in, get in touch with a, a congressman or senator, and and she did. And finally, this, the senator actually he called me and said, I agree with your findings in the case. This was murder, not suicide. And he did get a fire uh, burning there for a while. But even now, mm-hmm. after he got that going, it's again, that case is just sliding wow. back down and, sit, and sitting idle. And, and it's just uh, a, a big point, again, in this case, too, I was – 
I, I was contacted by an investigative reporter from uh, USA Today about that case because he's looking mm-hmm. into the corruption in Louisiana of of the uh, of different agencies down there, and then now I've Not given him one there. more to look at. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so he's looking. He's got another one to look at. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I mean, I uh, it's it's again, it's something I could certainly even would not be opposed to calling him to ask him to look at this uh, case as well. And uh, he uh, uh, he seems to me like he's the uh, uh, the type of reporter that's the shark that smells blood in the water and and goes right. after the case. And he's he's really he's he's working hard to prove a lot of different things that have uh, taken place insofar as corruption within uh, in law enforcement agencies and the gover- government agencies in general in Louisiana. Well, that's just it. Yeah, that's just it. I mean, anything like this, everybody should care about, but this is a case of public interest, you know, right. because of the fact that, you know, we're all, you know, paying our taxes, and, and this, is, this is how these matters are handled, you know, above the law, and, you know, I know that you're a straight shooter, and I know that there's a lot of straight shooters out there, but when there isn't a straight shooter and, and you know, you re-victimize all over again, you know, you lose your daughter to begin with, okay, and, and then there's constantly, you know, just rubbing rocks on top of wounds. You know, sharp rocks. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing. There's nothing that's coming out of this that should at least be able to provide some kind of closure, which will never be completely for this family. But the people need to pay for this crime. Right. And absolutely. And the, and, yeah. And I mean, yeah. I mean, I and, and I can say, I you know, I was I was blessed with the with the. Uh, a good fortune of working with some very determined investigators and and they they were the ones that they had a piece of evidence they held on to it and went after the case uh and never gave up on it and uh, it, well, there's one case that went on for uh, it, it started back in the 70s and this the the investigator never ever gave up on that case and it's it's still an open case um mm-hmm. and unfortunately uh yeah, Steve, the investigator, he, uh, Steve Grice, he passed away um, due to cancer not long ago. Uh, and, but Very but he was an investigator that if he had a piece of evidence, he wouldn't let go of it. And he solved some really good cases uh, just because of his, his uh, tenacity to go after a case. And, this, and now this is what you need to bring back is that tenacity in in the investigators that say, you know, I've got a piece of evidence and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give up until I, I shake the tree to get every piece of it out of there and, and bring something to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what we need for mortgages. Exactly. We just need yes. one person on Morgan's behalf to have that tenacity and the passion to find the answers to all of the questions and I, we can get there. It's just yeah, it's yeah and, that, and that's exactly right. And that's and that's exactly what you need. And I, I said it's, it's, you've you've got to have that that uh, that that investigator with the mentality of the shark in the water that smells blood and goes after it. 
uh, and and said this is the something I don't know whether it's 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 becoming a uh, lost over the years in the capacity that we're we're facing now with a, with a different time, uh, and I don't know are they losing something in their training. It's uh, it's uh, something that's mind-boggling to me because I, I said you know, when you get a case, it should be pursued to any length and necessary to bring it to a successful conclusion. Right. If uh, I, I don't understand the relationship between the district attorney's office and the Onslow County Sheriff's Department, and I, I may have mentioned this to you, James, but I, I want to bring it up again, and maybe you can. Maybe maybe you'll tell me that this is normal practice, but the the very first detective signed to Morgan's case was uh, on December 12, 2019. That was the day the criminal case was opened, and he worked okay. for Renee and I were not happy with his his work ethic or his desire to find answers, or his ability to communicate with us. However, we, we let him be thinking that he was what he said he was, an aggressive detective. However, almost exactly a year later, in December of 2020, he closed the case and left Onslow County Sheriff's Department. Just either took another position somewhere else, or he was terminated, we're not sure what happened there. It was never explained to us. In January of 2021, the prosecutor in Morgan's case, the assistant district attorney, called Detective Matt Hipple at the Onslow County Sheriff's Department and asked him to reopen Morgan's case, which he was willing to do. However, she also told him to wait for further instructions basically investigate at her discretion. At this point, now, more than a year since then, 13 months, he's been, this case file has been sitting on his desk. He has not received further instructions from the assistant district attorney. That Well, has he asked? He, the, when I last spoke to him, in, in January of this year, he had not. He had been trying to contact the prosecutor to find out why this file is sitting on his desk and he's not doing any work or he's not being asked to do any work. And at that point, in our last conversation, he had not heard back from her. But just the relationship and the 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 marching orders, I I, I don't understand that. And. It's not how, it's certainly not how it works on television. It seems that, you know, the police officers and the detectives bring evidence to the prosecutor in order to get an indictment. I, I just don't understand why the prosecutor in this case is is giving marching orders to those with boots on the ground. Okay, I just I don't uh, I don't get that uh, either because it, it it's it's the if the case is assigned to me it's my obligation to investigate it um, you know to tell them to go ahead and open the case but wait till you hear from me I've I've never heard of anything like that I mean that's mm-hmm. uh, 
Uh, I've never dealt with anything. Yeah, I'm sorry. And again, uh, certainly, certainly there have been some some incidences that I know of where where we've had some very uh, interesting headbutting contests between police officers and the prosecutors, Um, uh, and in the in the one instance, the the two uh, investigators backed up and took it upon themselves and I mean they got they got really rammed on the carpet but they said they brought closure to the family by what they did uh, was to the guy that he killed his wife and they, they never found her body and he he called and made some points that he would uh, he would be willing to tell them where the body was it on for certain stipulation and the prosecutor's office said no we wouldn't do that, but the, the two detectives said, well, the hell with it, we're going it our way. And uh, they went and got the guy, and he took him and, and led him to the body. And had he not done that, it, there was a big construction project that was to begin there, and if they hadn't, if the construction prize project hadn't unearthed the body to the point where you knew it was a human body, it would have, she would have probably never been found. But again, I said this was where the investigators took it upon themselves to do it, but uh, they, they paid a price for it uh, with the, by by bending the bending the rule and saying no, we're we're going to bring closure to the family, and I, and personally, well, I agree with what they did, but uh, I mean, and again, I just don't understand somebody telling them here's a case you investigated, but wait till you hear from me. Yeah, the district attorney has so much power. So much power, so much control, and that we've, only works well if they work well. Yes, we we've certainly found that out. They're, I can't say completely untouchable, but it's we have found that it's very hard, very difficult to find anyone in the private or public sector who is willing to cross them. Yeah, and that's and that's yeah. you know it's it's tough because you're 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 uh, sitting there, and and in this case you know you're looking at this detective that's got a case on his desk that he's being told wait for further instructions that he's never gotten. Yes, and that's it, what we're looking and at. Usually... Yeah, that's terrible. That's... Well, I, I, well, I, I think that the prosecutor needs to hear from more people, you know, and I, I know I'd like to be one of them. Why aren't you following up on this case? You know, but, and then again, you don't want to tick them off, but if they're not going to open it anyway, if they're not going to follow up anyway, then what have you got to lose? We were, yes, exactly. We were told from the beginning to, um, be very play nice with the prosecutor, but that is the person that is going to take Morgan's case to court. And honestly, I'm over it, which is exactly why we've been talking for the last two weeks, or the last two uh, segments of, on this story, about going as far over the district attorney's head as we possibly can, which is why we've been trying to get mm-hmm. to the governor of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I, we're getting nowhere in Onslow County. I, I want an authority that is 
bigger than anyone in Onslow County to know this case and know it well and find the passion for getting justice for Morgan. Uh, I, I, I firmly believe the Attorney General's office needs to, you know, hopefully they oversee, you know, in a sense. But they don't like to have to tell the prosecutors what to do. Like, you have to really say, you have to show very firmly why you're asking for their their help, you know. And, and yet the Attorney General's office can't engage unless you're showing them that they've done something that is... Um, or that they're not doing what they should be doing. You, you know, it's, it, it depends on the relationships with the, with the attorney general and, and the prosecutors. I mean, I know the attorney general in, in, in plural attorney generals in Oklahoma. They don't they don't do a darn thing. You know, they you know they they represent their own self interest rather than. The taxpayers, people who voted them in, and and this is where, you know, that's a huge problem. But we won't know until we try, right. you know, to see what the attorney general has to say, because he can ask for an investigation. He yes. can, you know, ask for an impartial, an, another county attorney to take this case on. I mean, my my brother, as you know, is a county attorney, and he's taken on cases that are not in the county because of one reason or another. They wanted to make sure that they had an impartial investigation and finding because of various conflicts. So, I mean, reaching out to the attorney general's office might not be a bad thing as well. And we discussed that two weeks ago when we were – on together, and I, since then yeah. I have written a, a letter to the Attorney General Stein in North Carolina, and I shared as as much information as I dared to without having whoever initially reads this letter lose interest, and, uh, and right. asked for contact so we could we could discuss the matter further. And I pointed out clearly I wanted to make my point that I don't believe that officials in on that there's a conflict of interest between Onslow County District Attorney's Office and in the United States Marine Corps. There's a line there that they're not willing to cross and that line needs to be crossed in this case. In right. order to find out what happened. And you haven't heard back yet, right? I have not. Yeah, yeah. It's usually about thirty days or so. I will certainly let you know when and if I do hear back from and we're still trying to contact the governor's office on a regular basis, too. We've gotten nowhere with them, but I, I informed the, um, the outreach coordinator at, at the Governor Roy Cooper's office that I'm not willing to accept no as an answer in this case until I mm-hmm. have the opportunity to speak with the governor directly. Good still for trying. you. And so that, and I mean, you've you've got to continue to pursue that. I mean, the more pressure you put uh, or bring to bear, uh, 
it's, it's, it's got to at some point uh, get you an answer one way or the other. Do you think a petition would help? My my fear is that there's there seems to be here in 2021 with the ease of online petitions, there seems to be mm-hmm. petitions for everything. Yeah. You know, it, it seems it's a lot different than when somebody was standing at the intersection gathering signatures and explaining the case and why it's important. It just seems that there are three or four every day that show up in my inbox right. <laughs> for various right. causes. And I, I think that a lot of times they're discarded. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to garner signatures these days, but I think that their value is a lot less. Right. That's my right. opinion. Right. You get enough signatures, that can get attention, too. I, I know exactly what you're saying. And maybe the value is less to us because everybody's got – everybody's looking for something. With, and, and a lot of times you think it's a, just a free handout and it's not legitimate, you know. And, and But here you're looking for a signature. Yeah. Well, um Oh, boy, this flew by, and we did 90 minutes tonight, and I think we need to pick this back up again. Um, I've got to close out the show. Uh, uh, I want to thank you, uh, James Lilly, for coming on with us, and I'd like to invite you to come back on again as we continue this. I'd I'd be more than willing to come back anytime you need me. Thank you very much. And yeah. Renee and, and Steve, you know, we, we need to be in touch behind the scenes. And, you know, I need to do get some work uh, done on this, some more work done on this too because, um, you know, the further that I research and, you know, just looking up this line of duty stuff, it's a mess. It, everything is a mess. I'm about ready to be cut off um, uh, by the system. So I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Tanya Talks, where your voice is heard and your story is told. I'm Tanya Hathaway, and I'm your host. Good night, and please keep tuning in to us. God bless.